Happy Monday, everyone, and welcome to The Culture, where we talk about the things that really matter. Obviously, this is a huge week uh, for us here at the firm and for our community. We're almost to D-Day. The book is about to be launched. I will be bothering you incessantly Monday, today, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Wednesday, I need everyone in the community to do me an instant favor uh, to go on to Amazon, the American version, give us the five stars and say either, honestly, you love the book or you can't wait to read the book or whatever you want to say. Give us the stars. Please, the big day is Wednesday. It's D-Day. We need you all to go onto the Amazon online and we'll get the algorithm, the feared and famed algorithm of Jeff Bezos working for us. So please, if you have any interest in our community and the work that we do, this is a chance to make our book a gigantic hit. And soon I'll be talking about all the events upcoming. In fact, maybe we do that on Wednesday um, of all the places the book is going to be reviewed and outletted. And you can follow along as we our adventure with us. Uh, I'm speaking to John, my Sancho Panza today. Uh, about where we are, but it's an incredibly exciting performance. Just just today or this weekend, I learned the book is going to be reviewed by the Wall Street Journal and the New York Post, Hamilton's venerable newspaper. So very, very exciting stuff coming up. And we will share that with you. But again, Wednesday is D-Day. Please do go on Amazon, go online. Uh, it's the paperback, The Last Best Hope. My name, John Halsman. Give us the five stars and write just a short review of just a couple sentences, whatever you'd like to say. And if you haven't read it yet, say that. Can't wait to get the book. <laughs> but it would be a great time to buy it because we're off to the races come Wednesday. So very exciting days ahead indeed. Stirring times for us and hopefully for the Republic. But ahead of that, I wanted to get into the books, the culture. And we start our new section, Having Finished Hemingway. Thank you for the overwhelmingly positive response to Hemingway. We will get back to literature very soon. We're going to do five albums, uh, probably five movies, I think, that you have to see. And then we'll go back to literature. Uh, but I love that the culture section has really taken off. Today, I want to talk about one of my absolute favorite albums ever, the incredibly beautiful, um, in the, one of the most honest records I've ever seen, Johnny Mitchell's Blue. Um, and this kind of ties into Hemingway. Hemingway said, what is it to be a good writer? He said, just tell the truth. Always tell the truth as you see it. And even if you make mistakes, people will forgive you because we all know the truth when we hear it. Be true, be real, be honest. And I think of that when I speak, uh, be true, be real, be honest. The Hemingway mantra is something I often think about just before I go and give a big speech. And I think Joni Mitchell, you know, jumped, vaulted over this bar. There's no album I can think of more honest or more true than Blue. And at the time and since, I think Joni Mitchell has been underrated. And one of the things I want to do with these five albums is look at some amazing music that has been underrated, that's been regarded, but not regarded as well as it ought to have been. And this ties into a comment that that moron Jan Wenner made just the other week. Jan Wenner is the co-founder of Rolling Stone magazine, and he has a new book out about the heroes of his baby boomer generation, Cue My Eye Rolling. And one of the things that he said, and again, I'm fascinated when people say idiotic things, and often it provokes me to push very hard the other way. And I'll admit that Jan Wenner did that with his comments. He said that in his book that basically African-American musicians and women musicians were not articulate enough 
to be interviewed for his new book on really the giants of rock and roll. And I just think this is breathtakingly ridiculous. And so I thought I'd start with a woman who I think has been underrated and neglected um, since really her, her heyday, and that's Joni Mitchell. And Joni Mitchell, I think, stands up very well to Bob Dylan. And anybody who knows me knows that I absolutely worship Bob Dylan for making the lyrics matter. He absolutely deserves his Nobel Prize for literature because he made the poetry of the words matter. Famously, when John Lennon and Paul McCartney met Dylan, their summit meeting and after Beatlemania had hit and Dylan went over to London, he was listening to their music and he basically said to them, you know, it's very catchy, man, but it's the words. The words are what matter. Dylan made that a reality. And in terms of longevity of, it, of producing good work for longer than almost anybody imaginable, I mean, if you, I just was listening to Murder Most Foul, which Dylan just released a couple of years ago, which is a tone poem about the Kennedy assassination and his generation. And it's brilliant. You know, it's still creative and exploring. And and Dylan is, I think, you know, in the, in the trinity of rock for his era of the Beatles, the Stones, and Dylan. He's not the least of the three. I put him second to the Beatles. Um, just extraordinary about making the lyrics matter. And Joni Mitchell, um, I think, is every bit as good as Dylan. She didn't last as long. She didn't do as much music for as long as Bob Dylan. Her talent was ethereal. It came and it went. Other things matter to her, famously like painting, at which she's brilliant. Um, but she didn't last as long as Dylan, so you can argue Dylan's better on that score. But in terms of the apex of her work, I think it compares very favorably with Dylan. And everybody who knows me knows that, that there's almost no higher compliment coming from me. And she's never been given the credit she's due. I think of her as a romantic poet, and much as we look at Lord Byron and what his love life was doing, because it's love, it's about love, her music, it's about loss, it's about yearning, it's about, you know, what John Lennon said, and I wrote in my last book, love is the answer. And she, you know, steadfastly makes this clear that that for all her fame, for all her complexity, for all her difficultness, which is just a creative woman having high standards, it seems to me, um, She's honestly in this tradition of the romantic poets of Shelley and Keats and Byron, much more in a way than Dylan is, who is interested in a lot of other things. But Blue is Joni Mitchell's ultimate breakup album. And Jan Wenner saying that there aren't any people articulate enough, women or African-Americans, to include in his book is just exactly the problem she's had. When famously Blue was released, people did a chart of all all the people she had been dating and seeing as though she were their muse, I think it's the other way around. I think these people, James Taylor, Graham Nash, were her muse. I mean, it's it's her voice that certainly has lasted longer than James Taylor and Graham Nash. I, I'm, I'm fond of them both, uh, but she's in a different league from them. And so, again, in a way, She's almost slut-shamed in, 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 in the article, the early Rolling Stone article, about they did a diagram famously about who she'd been dating and who she'd slept with and who she'd had a relationship with, as though she was the, the just the inanimate object and, and, and everybody else w w was gaining things out of her. I think, if anything, it was the other way around um, because neither Graham Nash, uh, I love the Hollies, you know, a good British beat group, uh, British invasion group, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young are good, if overrated. Um, there's that. 
Um, James Taylor, yeah, some nice songs. Uh, it's the same song over and over again. Talk about not progressing. I like the early stuff a lot, as everyone does, but it didn't progress. Uh, but Joni Mitchell towers over both of them. And yes, this album is about her, in, in, in a sense, about her relationships with both of them. Um, she had just was coming off a relationship where she'd lived with Graham Nash from 1968 to 1970, and a lot of the breakup songs and the despair uh, come out of that. She decided to take a break after her third album, Blue, was her fourth, and she went to Europe, and she went to Crete. And famously, while she went away to get away from her fame, um, she telegraphed Nash saying the relationship was over. At the same time, she was carrying on a relationship with James Taylor, incredibly intense by all accounts. Uh, Taylor was, was, was both wonderful to her, but also in the throes of his heroin addiction, uh, which he could never live down while she was there, and it, it destroyed them. Evidently, when he broke up with her, she was devastated by all accounts. But this probably most intense relationship of her life was going on at the same time. So in this time, like a, like a romantic poet, in this time of creative, of personal tumult, she creates one of the greatest albums ever about love and especially loss, but that it's the only thing that matters is looking for this. Blue came out in 1971, June 22nd, actually. It's her fourth studio album. Um, and it is, you know, beyond being maybe, again, in terms of folk music, songwriter music, maybe the ultimate singer-songwriter album. Um, the reason for this, is, and, and it came out with Reprise Records, uh, which was the norm for her at the time. Um, it was written and produced entirely by her. Another, another sign. She's not doing some backup thing or part of some kind of manufactured thing. She wrote everything. She produced everything. Um, she did this at A&M Studios famously in Hollywood at the time. And again, the, the, a lot of the songs uh, come out. Carrie, the great song, comes out of her time uh, of getting away to Europe and going to Crete, trying to get over a relationship with Graham Nash and find some sort of stability about James Taylor at the same time. And love and insecurity and loss are all there. Uh, famously, Chris Christofferson, a pretty good singer-songwriter in his own right, Sunday Morning Coming Down, his version is fantastic. Um, he said to her, you know, leave something for yourself after he listened to it, because I've never heard a record that's so honest, so unadorned, so bare, so to the point. Whereas Dylan is elliptical, that you have to read between the lines of Dylan. That's the fun of Dylan. Dylan's a cross -sussle. You have to look between the lines. You have to know the references. You have to dig deep uh, to find what Dylan is talking about. It's worth doing, like a good crossword puzzle, but you have to dig deep. Uh, Joni Mitchell comes at this exactly the opposite way in terms of the singer-songwriter tradition. Um, she's absolutely clear that she's going to tell you in an unvarnished manner what's going on with her. There's nothing left to chance. The language... Again, very North American. She's Canadian, but American in the sense that she loved California, lived at Laurel Canyon. Uh, famously, that was her headquarters, along with a lot of the singer-songwriters of, of her generation. Terry, that's for you. Uh, and they're much actually down the road. We might do something just on Laurel Canyon and the interactions, because that's very interesting. But very American, straightforward, and the gut punch is the honesty. 
Um, it's simple music. Um, there's not a lot of orchestration. It's a dulcimer. It's a guitar, even with her odd guitar tunings. It's the piano. It's about the words, man. She takes what Dylan said, but goes that next step and makes the simplicity of it. It makes it makes the love and the loss even more devastating in songs like Case of You, one of my favorite songs ever written, where every single stanza of Case of You, which was ostensibly written about Graham Nash, what she's doing is every single stanza is where something went wrong in the relationship, where they're drifting apart, where things are becoming irreparable. But but, but the, the unity, the intervals have the unity where she says, you, you, know, when I, I, you know, when I drink you, it's like holy wine, you taste so bitter and so sweet that it's this mix of these horrible moments, but these wonderful moments I wouldn't be without, even though it's breaking apart. And the rank honesty of this is just devastating the first time you hear it. I re-listened to this before I, I listen to Blue a lot. Um, when I shave, I listen to music because shaving bores me. When I do the dishes, I listen to music every day because that bores me. And I often listen to Blue. And uh, know it incredibly well, but but boy, the, the the punch that it packs never fails to get me. And case of you, Carrie, the last time I saw Richard about the loss of innocence and what happens when when you give up on this wellspring of trying to find love, uh, just devastating, absolutely devastating. And it's devastating because it's honest. It fulfills what Hemingway's talking about. Um, again, I think it's every bit as great as the best work Bob Dylan did. Ironically, Rolling Stone, for Jan Winter's idiotic comment, in, in 2020 said that Blue is the third greatest album ever made. And again, it comes out of their tour to Europe in the spring of 1970 when she's set up to make to break up with Nash, to make sense of her relationship with Taylor, to kind of, kind of, kind of get her head straight before coming back. Um, there's not a dis as she said, there's not a dishonest word in the record. And that's why I commend it to absolutely everyone. It's devastating in its honesty. You can hear the honesty and the beauty of the simplicity of the language. It's muscular. It moves very American again, like Hemingway. It's a good, it's a good link, uh, from the, from the literature of Hemingway to Joni Mitchell, because it's, it's, it's innately American in a way Dylan's much more elliptical, um, she didn't last as long at the top of, of her creative apex as Dylan, but boy, I, I challenge anyone to find anything better um, than, than this. It reminds me, if anything, of Dylan's. I, I think it reminds me most of Blood on the Tracks, my, my favorite Dylan album, uh, where, where he began his first marriage was breaking down, and he, and he paused in, in all the Byzantine games that Dylan plays with your head. He paused and told the truth, and I think that Blue is... Is is like blood of the, on the tracks in that way. The album did very very well. It was number, it reached number three in the UK, number fifteen chart for a singer songwriter album. That's fantastic, and went platinum. Um, so it did well at the time, and since its reputation has only grown. Um, you know, as somebody said in, in in a more glib way, the ultimate breakup album. But it's a place where a young woman. Uh, a young poet, and again, a romantic poet, is looking back at the failed relationships she's had, the chunks they've taken out of her, 
and the way forward, that love is still the answer, that you can fail and fail and fail at love. And this probably strikes a chord given my background. You can fail and fail and fail at love, but there isn't anything else. And you have to go ahead and keep trying to find it as long as you're alive. And type, tapping into this wellspring um, is really what this is about. I, I recently watched Scorsese's documentary of Bob Dylan's musical review for a while. Dylan actually drove the bus on the tour, which is funny. Joan Baez and he went back to their fraud relationship, uh, their working relationship at this point, and talked through some of the failings of before. Um, but Joni Mitchell for a while on, on the tour. And there's a great scene in the, in, in the documentary where someone says, you know, you're the greatest female singer-songwriter out there. And she gets in his face, rightly so, and says, why don't you compare me to Bob rather than just making me the greatest woman? And this is, again, where Jan Wenner went wrong. If you think instead, in, in a more modern way, about Joni Mitchell as just a romantic poet in a similar way to Dylan, and you let the gender thing go, actually, ironically, and you just look at the work she does, again, you get beyond this woke nonsense. You don't pigeonhole her. She's not a great woman singer, female singer-songwriter. She's a great singer-songwriter. And she's saying, why isn't my work being compared to Dylan's? Why are you just saying, I'm the greatest female singer-songwriter, as though this is a subcategory? Blue shows not. Blue shows what Joni Mitchell is capable of, which at the top of her game is one of the best albums ever made about love, about loss, about honesty, about the things that matter, about insecurity, about frailty, about failing, but the danger to keep trying. And it's fitting that the last track is The Last Time I Saw Richard, which along with Case of Use probably and Carrie are my three favorite tracks on the album. And it's about she meets an old friend of hers who settled. He's married a former ice skater and bought her a refrigerator and he goes to bed at night with all the lights on. One of the great lines ever written. He goes to bed at night with all the lights on. He can't live with himself anymore because he's given up this yearning, bruised and battered in between calamitous, if, if important, relationships with Graham Nash and especially James Taylor. Joni Mitchell makes it clear she's still bravely looking for the things that matter. And that's why this record, as long as records exist, will matter. That is a universal human feeling. And no one man or woman, ever, ever, ever captured it better than Joni Mitchell in blue. And so I'm happy to begin my list of where Jan Venner is wrong with a look at a Valentine to Joni Mitchell's album, one of the great romantic poet albums ever made, happened to be by a woman. But, but the take on it is universal, overwhelming, and one of the greatest bits of music ever set down. Happy to do this one for the culture. I will be bothering you briefly tomorrow to remind you about Wednesday, which is D-Day. Please do go on the Amazon site for Last Best Hope and give us the five stars and write a very short review, just a couple lines. It would, would, would make all the difference because then Jeff Bezos's algorithm starts working for us and we make the book into a hit. At the same time, I'll begin to talk on Wednesday when I'll remind you again about all the things we have scheduled coming up for the book. It's very, very exciting. There are 10 or 11 things already out there just in January and February, and we think things will continue well into March. So stirring days indeed, but I want to be inspired as we go into this process 
where I explain my book and my process. And there's nowhere better to start than Joni Mitchell's Blue. Next week, we'll look at another album of someone that Jan Venner famously hasn't included in his list of being articulate enough. One of the greatest concept albums ever made by Marvin Gaye, What's Going On, which is an absolutely fantastic album about the late 60s in a sensitive articulate, creative man at the apex of his power, looking at all the chaos around him. And like Joni Mitchell, trying to make sense of it. Whereas Joni Mitchell looks internally, Marvin Gaye looks externally, but they reach the same point of universality. So next week, what's going on? Take care, everybody, and I'll see you tomorrow and Wednesday, and off we go.